0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Wise Athletes Podcast, where we invite you to join our journey to understand how older athletes can achieve high performance and longevity in athletics. I am Joe Lavelle with Dr. Len Winkle, and this is episode 12 of our podcast. Bike fitting has always seemed like a dark art. There is definitely something to it, and some fitters seem to have it, but most don't for some reason. It must be hard to know how to put an asymmetrical body built for walking and running upon a perfectly symmetrical bicycle, which requires perfect circles of power deployed in a bent-over aerodynamic position without compromising the ability to breathe. And that would be the easy scenario with a perfect body that has no dysfunctional neuromuscular patterns, no muscle imbalances, no adaptations to an old bad bike fit, unresolved injuries, or compensated weaknesses. Well, it's the rare cyclist or triathlete who feels a perfect connection to the bike. If you are like me, you've been tinkering with your setup for years and have reluctantly sought out experts once in a while only to continue tinkering. Surely there's a better way. I've been reading about those mythical bike fitters who are experts in the human body first and then experts in fitting a bike to a body. When I discovered that a friend of mine, Brian Heber, was getting a bike fit from a doctor of physical therapy, I just had to tag along. Listen in as Brian and I talk to the physical therapist, bike fitter, Natalie Collins, owner of Pedalfit in Denver, Colorado. Natalie and Brian talk about their experience working together to resolve Brian's pain and increase his power via a combination of targeted exercises for Brian and tiny changes to his position on his bike. Brian was even able to keep his aggressive handlebar position. I think you'll be amazed at how much improvement is possible by making a few perfect changes. As always, Glenn and I hope you find this information helpful in your quest to become a wise athlete. Today I'm here with Natalie Collins and Brian Heber, uh, and we are going to talk about bike fitting. Uh, Natalie, you're the owner of uh, Pedal Fit?
1: Yes, Pedal Fit.
0: Pedal Fit. And uh, we're gonna get into how your business is a little different than really any other bike fitters business that uh, I'm familiar with uh, and in a way that is really good. And Brian, uh, you and I have known each other for a while we were on the same team and you have recently had a bike fit. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So we're going to talk a little bit about bike fitting in general and Natalie's approach that she's had a lot of success with. And then we're going to launch into going through Brian's example as a a way of, you know, just sort of diving down into those details. So my personal experience with bike fitting is probably pretty typical of the, you know, the average cyclist where I can still remember not really being sure why I needed a bike fit. You know, I just paid a lot of money for this bike. Why don't I just ride it, you know, out of the store here? Why do I need a fit? I mean, what do you mean? It doesn't fit me. Didn't we, didn't we just pick the right size that was going to fit me? Well, it turned out that there was a lot to that, uh, even in, uh, you know, those simple bike fits that I had. But that sort of left me tinkering with it over time as I got stronger and was capable of uh, handling more of an aerodynamic position and very desirous of being able to put out more power. But surely if I had been smarter, I would have understood how important a bike fit was and uh, would have invested in that uh, right up front. So... Natalie, me having thought about this for the last few years, it, it seems to me that there's uh, three basic pillars of bike fitting. And I and maybe I'm all wrong in uh, the way I've broken this up, but let me just go ahead and mention this to you and you can correct me and tell me what your thoughts are on that. But the first one is just that simple what I got, you know, when I was first getting a bike fit was just to make sure that it's the right size, that the the frame is the right size, that the handlebars are the right size, that... You know, things are roughly the right amount of distance apart to fit the length of my arms and torso and and legs. The second part of the bike fit then is more related to the technique of riding a bicycle as it relates to, you know, the position that I'm going to uh, have on the bicycle related to being aerodynamic or being able to produce power, pressing hard on the pedals as I'm, you know, moving them in that circular motion. And then the last category then had to do with things which are body issues. So issues that people might bring to the bike that's unrelated to the bike, like being able to recruit certain muscles. Uh, and I'm looking at you, glutes. You know how stiff somebody might be, or their you know their ability to be flexible, their ability to be to hold their body stiff, to have strong core muscles, uh, you know, possibly a variety of other things that relate to pain that people might have when they ride on a bike. And so these are things which the bike fitter would then have to deal with as a part of or before getting a person fitted onto a bicycle. Do those sound like good categories, Natalie?
1: I think they're great. I would reverse the the pillars and say that the body is most important and understanding the body first and then Going into you know the two other categories that you mentioned, but that's just me as a physical therapist.
0: <laughs> right, right. Well, you mentioned that you're a physical therapist. Tell us, you know, what your background is, and and I think that it must be an interesting story how you got into bike fitting as a physical therapist.
1: Well, no pressure there. It better be interesting. Okay, so uh, my background as a physical therapist. I'm a doctor of physical therapy, and uh, basically, I just continued to see cyclists i'm a cyclist myself and obviously that was such an interest to me that um i was frustrated when i couldn't 100% solve the problems that they were bringing in so at first i tried to work with some fitters in the area and um you know that went a certain way and then i reached out to my mentor eric moen in seattle and scheduled a course went out there took a course with him my main objective, selfishly, to take the course was that I wanted to get my own, I wanted to learn how to do my own bike fit. But of course, the first thing you learn is that you can't do your own bike fit well. <laughs> so, you know, I learned enough to be dangerous with Eric for the, the first bit of time we spent together and came back and mainly just applied that to my clients uh, as physical therapists and started talking about their bike position and finding that these people who'd had, you know, a a long course of cycling in their life really didn't have the right expectations for the way they should feel on the bike and just started to realize how much they were leaving on the table when it came to what they expected from the bike and what they were getting out of it. So several years down the road, I took many more courses with Eric and he came out and worked with me and so on and so forth. And I did free bike fits for bike mechanics for a year and worked through all of those um, things that you work through to start your own business. Still did not want to have my own business even after all of that, even though I loved working with cyclists directly. Um, But I'm a perfectionist. If I can't do something 100%, then you're going to be hard-pressed to find me (laughs) doing it. Anyway, so it took me a bit of time to eventually start my business. And once I did, you Know it's just been a growth uh, ever since. My background as a physical therapist, uh, I have a, a certification in orthopedic manual therapy, which is hands on. Um, I do dry needling, I do McKenzie physical therapy or MDT, a couple other tools in the toolbox that letters behind the name. But all of that is to me secondary to what I learn on a daily basis with cyclists when you're in. When I'm in the room with someone who has a list of issues that they expect me to help them resolve, and we have a limited amount of time, and then I'm going to send them out the door to be their own you know, physical therapist, pretty much, and their own self-treatment and their own motivator, there's a lot of pressure there to figure out a way to communicate with that individual, to really fully understand what they have going on because the better I understand that, the easier I can make it for them to get a big return on investment after they leave. And then from there, understanding the body, getting them on the bike and making on the appropriate changes.
0: Well, that sounds good. And uh, Brian, let me ask you, you know, h- how did you come to uh, reach out to Natalie to help you with your bike fit? I, I mean, you're a very experienced cyclist. Why did you need a bike fit?
2: Well, kind uh, of go back to through a little history, if you will, because it's it's a bit of a log story. I I first met Natalie uh, when she had office space up in the Evergreen area. So she was always kind of in the back of my mind. So I kind of started looking at a lot of what she had been willing to share on her blog. Uh, For me, it was what I saw in the blog that really kind of pushed me over the edge to say, yeah, I think this is the the person that I should work with. And, you know, to get into it a little bit more personally is, you know, I was starting to experience some left leg pain and so forth that I thought, man, if this continues, I could see myself being off the bike for a while to you know, allow this to heal and that sort of thing. And I thought, if I don't do something now, I think I'm really gonna
0: regret it. Awesome. One of the things that we're gonna do here on this episode is we're gonna go through your case in some detail. So I don't wanna jump into too much detail, but at a high level, you've had some satisfaction in the work that uh, you did with Natalie, is that right? Oh, absolutely absolutely yeah yeah, you bet and so uh pain relief as well as you had mentioned that while you were looking for some like marginal power gains you're getting something much better than marginal
2: you know one of my goals was obviously to figure out what was causing this imbalance pain but also along with that is figuring out why this was happening why i'd been told over time that Gee, your glute doesn't fire. You know, so I was trying to find those things out as, you know, yeah, nobody wants to ride with pain, but also I was looking for those, what I term marginal gains in terms of power. I'm a hill climber, I'm a time trialist. And so trying to find, you know, that power is key. And I think what I found was not only pain relief, but as importantly is not marginal gains, but really those what I would term exponential gains
0: in power. That's fabulous. That's what everybody wants. I mean, anybody who's in pain, they want the pain gone. Uh, But anybody who's been riding a bike for a while, what do they want? They want a bigger engine. They want to go, they want to ride faster, ride harder. Let me come back to you, Natalie, and and just say that those sound like the two top line benefits that people should expect and maybe even reasons that people should seek out a really good bike fitter is one, if, if you're experiencing pain, that is not normal. That is not a normal part of riding a bicycle. You shouldn't accept that. That's something that can be resolved almost all the time. Is that right?
1: Yes, almost all the time. Absolutely.
0: Okay. I, I mean, I think that anybody who's experiencing pain on a bike, I mean, I've heard people say, ah, oh, that's just the way it is. You know, oh, I went on a really long ride and, you know, it's always going to hurt. You know, and there's some truth to if you're doing things that your body's not used to doing, then yeah, then it's going to be tiring in, in certain ways. But if you just chronically always are uncomfortable on your saddle, hey, there's solutions to this sort of thing. And then the other thing, which, because I don't personally have pain on the bicycle, but I have an insatiable desire to be stronger. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I could be the fastest person in the world on a bicycle. I want to be faster than that. But I mean, I already know I've wanted that for a long time. I could be in the gym, cranking up, you know, my muscle mass. I could be training harder. You know, I could be, Dieting down to get my watts per kilogram as high as possible—I could do that stuff already—and I'm I'm not doing it for good and reasonable reasons. But if there is power in my body that is just somehow not being put into the pedals of the bicycle, I want that. And uh, and if that is something that I can expect from a good bike fit, then that is another top-line, super compelling reason to get a bike fit. Is that something that I should be able to expect, Natalie?
1: Absolutely. I think to touch on a, a couple of things that you mentioned there, uh, with the exception of dieting, because that is not within my scope of practice, um, or at least that's not something that I work with people on. Um, what I see so often, I mean, everybody has a different currency that they're trying to really gain from the bike fit. Or, or we say bike fit, but really it's a... It's a whole experience that you should expect. Some people are in the gym all the time and working really, really hard, but not seeing a big return on investment or as far as they know they're doing as much as they can. Whereas other people that's not within their plan and they want to optimize as much as they can by not being in the gym. And, My goal, at least personally, is that if we if I can fully understand sort of the phenomenons and the symptoms and the performance and the strength and weaknesses from a cause and effect standpoint, then my process, uh, for lack of a better term, is then to make things as straightforward and as efficient and effective as I can So the more I understand about you, the more I can give you a few things to work on that are going to be a return on investment. Um, And I can sort of explain to you what you're leaving on the table, because oftentimes it's not what you think you're leaving on the table that is discovered working together.
2: The other thing I'd, I'd throw in, Joe, is that you have to talk about expectations. I mean, nowhere in my mind did I think I'd go and see Natalie and she'd whip out a magic wand and say Brian you're going to you're going to see an extra 60 watts and you're going to be you know totally comfortable on the bike what i did expect was that it would be a process in which there would be discovery i also thought within the process you know that there would be prescriptive measures taken and that it would take work on my part, and it would take adjustment on my part to undo some of the things that I've done over years and years and years that from a biomechanic standpoint were hurting me. So I think it's important to talk about expectations and realize that Yes, you know, that this is an important process and it is, you know, one that's, you know, going to take time and it's not a once and done thing
0: that to get to that end goal. I think you're making really important points that I mean going again back to my own personal experience with bike fitting when I I can remember getting the first non mountain bike, first bike with drop bars and my reaction to those drop bars was i am never going to ride in the drops that's crazy i'm going <laughs> to die if i do that and uh, you know and i knew i'd i'd be in traction if i did that for more than 5 minutes uh, at a time anyway so i had no interest in uh, you know aerodynamic why do i need to be aerodynamic what is all of this stuff that uh, these people are telling me and of course, I had no core muscle ability to be able to sit on a bicycle in in the way that is necessary in order to be able to control the bike and, and be comfortable on the bike and put power into the bike. And I, I needed to develop that over time. And, and so there was a, a process of... Again, just for myself, of building up my ability to handle a bike and and strength and being able to sit on a bike and put power in a bike that had to coincide with a continuing stream of adjustments to the bike to accommodate me as I could accommodate it, you know. And so, surely, Natalie, that's the experience that you have, you know. Even with Brian, is where you've got things that improvements to him. And to his bike to accommodate the new and better Brian. But that's not all you could ever imagine Brian doing. That's just the the first step that you would get him to. And then over time, he could, if he wanted to, could keep working at things. And the bike fit would evolve with Brian as his body evolved to be better and stronger. Is that right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Everybody has a different place, we have to meet that individual where they're at and make sure that the expectation that they have for their body and the goals that they have and um, how much energy they want to put into it and where they are at physically all match up. And if they do, then we'll come up with a plan and optimize the bike fit and go from there.
0: Right. And, you know, and if the person doesn't want to do core exercises to build up their core muscles, well, then their bike fit is going to reflect that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if they don't want their bike fit to reflect that, then their expectation might need to match up with the way they feel on the bike. But I would just say that when we lay it out like that, it makes it seem very concrete. Well, you do this, you are this way, you get this product. And when you really dive into it, and find, again, the cause and effect, and you see the difference, you know, if if you have significant change in the way you feel over the course of three minutes, or you get significantly stronger by putting your body in a certain position, that's easy to talk yourself into doing, taking three or four minutes a day so that you see that change. I think the barrier to entry for a lot of people is that There's so much information out there. There's so many uh, different means of, you know, percussive treatments like Theragun and you have thousands of different foam rollers and, you know, thousands of different strength programs online or, you know, all these things. And the more there is to sort through, the more difficult it seems like it will be to optimize yourself. And when you're able to really dive into the individual physical um, attributes and phenomenons and you see that difference in yourself and you make it very simple, there's a lot less barrier to carry out a change for yourself.
0: Sure. And I guess having somebody who knows what they're talking about guide you has got to be the fastest path to getting to where you want to go versus the path that I personally took, which was to try to figure it out myself. I'm wondering what other sort of high level, you know, philosophies or, or things that you find that would be interesting to people that uh, you'd like to mention, Natalie, before we get into Brian's example as a way of sort of walking through your process. And so one thing I guess that you could speak to is, you know, the idea that there's a process. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you have a process. So it would make sense that you would, but a, but a process sort of like a, a set of rules of thumb that you would follow to kind of get a person close. Like, how can you tell if the bike is the right size? I mean, there's like rules of thumb that would get you in the ballpark. But then how do you go from ballpark to it's right? Mm -hmm. And and what is the, is like within a millimeter close enough, uh, you know, or is it a centimeter close enough? You know, how finely tuned uh, is, you know, your process that you follow that's individual? I mean, so there's probably generic stuff and then there's individual stuff on top of that. How finely tuned is that?
1: Well, there are different Components of what I do. Um, when the person comes in, we have a very thorough discussion about them, their goals, what they feel, what they feel throughout the day, what it feel, you know, what they feel in the morning versus night, what they do throughout the day, what they're doing to try to help themselves, all those things. From there, I do a, a thorough physical assessment, depending on what the individual needs. Take that information and then apply it to the bike. So we're talking about sort of a tertiary situation here, where we're talking about the bike fit first. But um, what I would say is, general can be just as dangerous as no bike fit at all, because the bike is adjustable, but the body is adaptable. So simply having a change can be very problematic. A very specific change down to the millimeter for sure, in terms of saddle height. Uh, When we talk about bar width, obviously we're talking about to the centimeter and fore aft obviously down to the millimeter. A few very, very detailed and delicate uh, areas of the bike fit are the saddle tilt. In the case of the tilt being something you can't really even see to the naked eye. So just an adjustment with the wrench um, and same thing with the hoods. And those are the contact points. So those are gonna change all proprioception, they're gonna change your posture, your ability to sustain a position on the bike. Those are determined by the initial assessment, the physical exam, and really that understanding of how the body will respond over time. Bike fit is a snapshot in time. If someone comes in and they had a hard hamstring workout the day before and their hamstrings are tight, they might sit a little bit differently on the bike. The challenge really is to know not just what that bike fit is gonna be in terms of a snapshot in that very moment, but rather how that individual will adapt over time.
0: And is that just something that you use your experience to make judgments on? What is things that are adjustable over time versus goals that a person might have and they want to do something differently than they're doing now?
1: Absolutely. Those two things are important. And then just understanding how the body responds. So I can't have someone sit in the position for three hours and then come in and retest them. So I've developed ways that basically extrapolate that information, what the, how the person will fatigue over time, uh, You know what muscles will be inhibited, what muscles will be activated, what positions of the back, for example, will activate the glutes, what positions of the back will turn off the glutes understanding positionally how that person's body behaves off the bike is then how I understand how they can sustain that position on the bike. If I put them in a position that they can hold for 30 minutes or an hour and a half even through the whole bike fit, that's one thing. But how are they going to feel on simultaneous days of riding in Rebecca's private Idaho? That's much more of a challenge. And what do I need to do to give them the tools that they need to match that adaptability of their body to the adjustable parts of the bike? And that's really where the gold is, I think.
0: Okay. Maybe we ought to go through Brian's situation to see how Brian's specific challenges and desires were manifested into exercises you gave him and changes you made to his body. Bike, and I don't know what else you did. Well, Brian, you've got your list of things that you were seeking to accomplish, right? Yeah.
2: I kind of talked about those earlier in terms of, you know, figure out what was driving the pain, look for the incremental power gains. Those were the very high level goals. And certainly, You know, like I said, over time, I've been told by various physical therapists, you know, that my left glute didn't really fire, but with no real prescription for having that happen. So that that was an issue that I was very, very aware of. Of course, going into a fit situation like this because of my prior experiences with fit was, you know, I was a little bit challenged (laughs) to say the least. And I had to really talk myself into being receptive and flexible and willing to try things. Because I think often as cyclists, we get into a a habit or a mindset, if you will, that gosh, this is exactly how I've lived with my setup. And I really don't want anybody monkeying with this. And when I take it into the bike shop and they start messing around with my seat post or seat, I get kind of you know agitated and upset about that. So because this seems to be what's worked for me. And so I really had to go in with an open mind and trust Natalie's process was going to get me towards you know to those end goals.
1: So when Brian came in, first of all, you know you, you plan to spend three and a half hours with someone. You kind of want to get to know them a little bit and relax into the situation and, you know, learn their learning styles and how they prefer to do things. Do they need a little bit of personal space or do they want me to explain everything? And it was just so easy to work with Brian. I mean, he's a fantastic guy. And I could pick up on those trepidations a little bit because most people who come in have concerns um, similar to those uh, concerns. You know, as we started talking, uh, we both kind of relaxed and started enjoying our time. I can't speak for Brian, obviously, but I was enjoying my time. And then Brian said, "Well, I have this list." And you know, we had intended to do the podcast eventually, or it was at least on the on the books. And so he said, "Well, I have this list of my trepidations." <laughs> we both kind of okay. looked at each other, and he asked me the list. And this is after we've gone over, you know, his personal information, MRIs, and you know, different things like that. And, uh, I started to look at the list and I said, no, 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 I'm not going to look at these because I want to see how this all plays out. And I really want this to be very organic and I don't want anything to bias one way or the other, how we approach this session. I want you to get as much out of it as you can. So that was our jumping off point. And then at the end we enjoy, I enjoyed it. Again, speaking for Brian, we read the list of trepidations and it, it, we had almost already gone over everything and sort of chatted through it. So it's a it's a space where people can eventually open up and just speak their mind. Hey, look, I'm nervous that you're going to move these things and I'm going to feel worse, you know, or, or I am not going to like it or, you know, whatever it is. Everybody has different feelings about that. And it's such a negotiation. And the the part of the equation that scares people, I think, is that they feel as though they have to drive the bus, so to speak. Um, That if they don't say the right thing or perform the right way in that snapshot of time, that I'm going to adjust their bike and then that's how they have to deal with it. And the, the body does so much of the talking and is really the middle ground And, you know, people ask me, well, how am I going to do, you know, with this or with that? And I say, look, your body will tell us. And that's sometimes that's very scary for people. But I try to lay it out in a way that we do have some objectives and help people understand how to listen to their body so that they don't feel so responsible for their own bike fit.
2: Well, I also think it's important to, you know, I'll jump in here for a second, is to go back to, you know, trusting the process. Part of her process, which I found extremely valuable, was that, you know, she had had a whiteboard in in her office space and basically had laid out a bunch of stuff even before I got there based on things that she would read in my intake forms and, you know, some of our email conversations, you know, that sort of thing that, you know, really helped me. Natalie guided the process and I, I felt immediately, you know, all the confidence in the world, you know, really thoughtful in the way that
0: she approaches this process. Thanks, Brian. I try to imagine myself in these situations, and I think, wow, well, you know, I really would not react that way. Uh, you know, <laughs> in all of my bikes, they're all set up differently. know, I wouldn't be all that fanatical about, worried about, oh, you're going to change something. It's like, well, obviously, I'm, I'm at the bike fitter. Obviously, they're going to change something. I mean, that's why I'm there.
1: Well, you know, once you're fully optimized, once that bike, once you're completely engaged with that bike, and you're balanced over the bike, and it just feels right and efficient and effective, you don't ever want to feel a different way. <laughs> so, you know, there are people that come in and, and they're uh, concerned that they're gonna feel so good on the bike that then they're gonna to want to fit all their other 25 bikes, <laughs> and that they're gonna become the princess and the pea. I've had people say that as well. So, you know, again, everybody has a currency they're looking for. I think the word comfort, The word comfort in general, because it's used to describe a certain type of bike that's very upright and more leisurely, when you think of comfort, it doesn't necessarily indicate performance to a lot of people. But the word comfort when it comes to optimizing the bike is really just making sure that nothing is inhibited because of discomfort. And everything is engaged, and you aren't trying to use extra energy to balance yourself on the bike. All the energy that you're using is going towards developing power and forward propulsion. I would also say that we all have different personality types. That personality transfers into a physical change. You have people who are very sensitive off the bike. You know, you say something to Aunt Sally. And it doesn't matter if you intended it to be the nicest thing you've ever said to her, she might take it the wrong way and be offended, right? Well, people have bodies like that too. I mean, you, you do something that really should be very, very positive for that person's body and the body's like, mm, you know what, we're not going to speak for a little while. So there are certainly different responses that people have and for different reasons. And a lot of that is understanding that person getting to know that individual and you know, what their history is and going from there.
2: Well the the other thing I'd interject, Natalie, is that the discoveries that we had were things that I didn't really know. And I didn't really know I was leaving all this currency on the table. I think that's the beauty of Natalie's process and her powers of observation coupled with her knowledge base. And you know, when you have this trained observer with all this knowledge able to assess your body and then demonstrate that if we do this then you're going to be able to engage your glute you're going to be able to engage your hamstring and you're not going to have this imbalance issue that to me is just the proof of the pudding right there
0: yeah and you've said that uh, natalie delivered so yeah absolutely true that is the proof yeah uh, Although I will say that, you know, when I first heard of uh, Natalie, the idea that you sort of all in one package can help riders who have, well, you know, anybody, but in particular riders who've got challenging body issues where it would be so hard to be running back and forth from a physical therapist back to the bike fitter, back to the physical therapist trying to deal with, you know, well, whose job is it to try to address this issue or that issue? And instead, you're just the person. You know how to zero in on the thing, and there's no way of wiggling out of who's got accountability for stuff that is still a problem think
2: it's also important to say that it is a joint accountability. I mean, I, I don't in any stretch of the word think, oh my gosh, Natalie's going to identify this and you know she's going to make this adjustment or that adjustment on my bike and I'm not going to have to do any work. I mean, I, I think that's delusional.
0: Sure. That makes sense. I mean, you've got to do the work. Mm-hmm.
2: I think the key difference for me in the experience is, yeah, I've gone to physical therapists before and knowledgeable physical therapists, but they kind of look at me and go, "Well, I, gee, I'm used to uh, dealing with somebody that just had knee replacement surgery. I'm not used to dealing with somebody that you know races to the top of Mount Evans or does time trials or you know that sort of thing." And you know, you're kind of hitting on the point too that. You know, Natalie can really be that one-stop shop, if you will, because she has the the expertise in the physical therapy realm, the expertise in the bike fitting realm, as well as you know, as a as a cyclist herself. And the other important, I think, thing to say is she knows her way around a bike. I mean, I I didn't sit there and and go like. Oh my gosh, she's going to do this to my carbon fiber stem, or, oh my gosh, you know, she doesn't understand you know these components." Or, you know, she's the first to get out her digital torque wrench and say, <laughs> you know, we're going to make sure all this stuff is, you know, once we get things into adjustment, that things are right." And so that, to me, is also huge because she, she brings that entire package together.
1: I know you can't see me, but I'm blushing, Brian. Thank you. I don't. Do, I'm a Midwesterner, you know, so I don't do very well with compliments. Um, it is so nice to hear these things, uh, though, because I am very obsessed with getting the most out of people. And I mean, obviously, I I can't get any more out of you than, or and by you, I just mean the general you out of you than you want out of yourself. But I really try to figure out a way that will speak to each person. I think to go back to what Joe was saying about the physical therapist being the bike fitter, the bike fitter being the physical therapist and so on, and that accountability piece, it has taken me a very long time and I have not always done this well. I'm sure past clients, if they ever listen to this, can chuckle about it. You have two individuals who are very, very invested, obviously the client and myself very, very invested in meeting some goals. The challenge is figuring out a way to do that. The issue is not a fault issue necessarily. It's more of a follow through. You know, what is our plan? What And I should say it in a different way. What is the hypothesis? So what, what do we think is happening here? And then how do we challenge that hypothesis? How do we see if doing this exercise is going to give us our intended result, and then what is our plan B? And so we're working through it together. And instead of when we're exchanging information together, you know, Brian and I started talking uh, just a minute ago and man, I just, the motor goes and I'm just so interested to see how it's going, not because of a fault, you know, whose fault is it or whose fault isn't it? Because I want to know how our hypothesis carried out, you know, were we right that four things were linked to one problem and that, um, you know, on the bike, his glutes should work and so on and so forth. And I think we'll get into more detail when we start talking about what Brian is actually feeling and what we started working towards together. But I think that's really important because, you know, in our medical system right now, it is hard to, one, get an appointment with a primary care physician, and, uh, you know, in our physical therapy office, sometimes there's a wait, you know, of a couple of weeks. And not only that, but how do you communicate with them after you leave? And, you know, if you do communicate with them, how do you email or, or message them everything you're feeling? And there is a big challenge with that. And then you have the middle ground of insurance, which is dictating your care in a lot of ways and how much time you get to spend with this practitioner and, you know, which medication you can take and how much physical therapy you can have and whether or not you need an MRI before you have physical therapy, before you have surgery. And it is confusing. And so my goal with every single person, if they're willing to have me as their advocate and really be invested with them in making that change, I am a very sensitive person. So if somebody tells me, oh man, our hypothesis didn't work my first thing is like, oh, shoot, you know, I'm just as disappointed as they are. But at the same time, we know we have a plan B and we think, okay, well, interesting. It's not that we didn't do anything by testing that hypothesis. Instead, we learned a lot about your body and we know how to move forward now. And we've got a plan and we're going to go to plan B and our plan B, we're going to test that. And I want you to let me know how you feel with that. And so I hope that the takeaway is rather than just having this snapshot in time where you make bike adjustments. And then, you know, I hear this horror story of people just leaving and not liking uh, what they feel. And instead of, you know, working on a few things, they just rebuild the house and go back to their measurements that they had before or something like that. And I just find that that's a person who one is not fully invested in that process. And two, the other person might not, you know, the, the person working on the bike fit might not be fully invested or some level of that. And I just think that that's the most unfortunate thing because it's, what other time do you get to spend three and a half hours with someone who's a professional? And if I'm spending three and a half hours with somebody, I'm really invested in in them. And by the end of that session, or by the end of that time that we spent together, I want them to understand what I understand about them and uh, try to go ahead and carry out our plan.
0: Well, that sounds very compelling. My experience with PTs in general has been to find somebody that I liked working with and to develop a long-term relationship with them. Not that I wanted to see them any more than necessary, but I would see them when I had to and would also find that I would learn from that person who would help me to keep from needing to come back to, uh, you know, avoiding issues with various stretches or exercises I could do or, or, or you know, just little tricks of the trade that uh, they would be able to share with me. And I can just imagine that it would be all the more powerful for that relationship to be with somebody who could also tell me about my bike and my my bike fit. So, uh, very Im- impressed with the combination of talent. Brian, so getting back to your particular fit, you know, we understood that uh, you'd had some leg pain and you were looking to get some resolution to that as you were concerned that if you didn't get it resolved, it was going to get you off the bike long term. And that was definitely something you wanted to avoid. But also because you knew that you had the glute issue that uh, you were expecting that you were going to be able to find some extra power. And uh, and I understand that both of those things have happened. But were the, was there anything else that uh, you were looking for before we turn it over to Natalie to walk us through what she found?
2: Yeah, again, I'd probably say I was I, I was looking to find that whatever that secret formula would be, if you will, to optimize my ability to perform on the bike. And you know, like I said, I I was often concerned about this whole idea of comfort. And then I kind of had to resolve myself to the fact that, well, I guess if you're comfortable, you know, you're going to have some influence on your ability to perform. You know, I I think those are kind of it in a nutshell.
0: There's a good and a bad of comfort. The the good of comfort is that if it's comfortable, you can sustain a position longer and maybe put out more power, at least if you're not in pain. But the bad of comfort was, you know, you didn't want to be in a position that was like a you know riding a a cruiser bike just to right. avoid pain, right? Right. And exactly. And and i I
2: was, you know, had had enough knowledge to know that that was some combination of my body's biomechanics as well as the the machine, the equipment that I was interfacing with. So I knew the answer was somewhere probably in between. But, you know, when it came down to it, I, I think certainly it was, you know, more about my body
0: than the bike. Great. Well, Natalie, do you want to tell us what you found when you uh, reviewed Brian's situation?
1: Absolutely. Well, Brian, obviously, with your permission, I just want to make sure um, I'm not going to dive into anything too deep, but we'll talk about some of the superficial uh, or not even superficial, but some of the ge- uh, general findings we found and then what our solutions were. Is that OK with you?
2: Absolutely.
1: Okay, Brian mentioned the thing that brought him in there, into my office. Um, I think eventually was the pain, and it wasn't just pain that brought him in. It was that that pain. He didn't have control over that pain. That he it, that it wasn't normal, and then it was getting worse, and he was concerned that you know it might be career ending for him on the bike, and so the pain that actually brought him in. And when I say that's the pain, I'm talking about some lower back pain that also went to the glute um, and uh, the side of the leg, but also into the calf. And at the time, I don't think Brian thought it was related, but some IT band discomfort and that went down into his fibular head. Am I right, Brian? Yes. Okay. And so that, but that's the pain that he was most concerned with. The other, he had other pain that, wasn't necessarily getting worse, but that he had been living with and not to speak for him. He can step in if uh, I'm wrong, but I think in his mind, he was thinking, well, this is the pain I've been living with. You know, it's probably not impacting my performance. And this is where comfort and performance really have such an overlap. Um, And that was his neck pain. He mentioned to me, you know, he was having quite a bit of neck pain that was going down into his shoulder and also into his upper trap, more on the left side than the right side. Uh, And then later on in our conversation, he mentioned that it was hard for him to avoid hiking his left shoulder, that after time, once he felt fatigued, he would end up hiking his left shoulder. And that was something he was really working hard to avoid. To sort of cherry pick on that after a pretty thorough assessment of his strength of his upper body and testing his neck and his range of motion and different things, I'll leave out a lot of the details of that. We really found when we put his neck in more of a forward position, you know, like if you were to look down at your phone. When we put him in that position for a long period of time, he no longer had a left tricep. You know, I found that if you position somebody about 10 repetitions of looking down, that usually is about the equivalent of riding the bike for an hour. And, you know, that's a overgeneralization, but I have to have those kind of things to understand how people's bodies change. So if he has no tricep after 30 minutes, and really we found it was more like five to 10 minutes. That is a huge part of his foundation. When it comes to supporting yourself on the bike, your tricep is one of the most important muscle groups. So the fact that he was maintaining that, and it's probably been for a long period of time because, you know, he had had this neck discomfort for a long period of time. So we could sort of extrapolate that information out. Knowing that, That is a perfect example of where performance and comfort really are key. I mean, he's having this pain, but more than just the pain, he's having this sequela of symptoms, one being that he's losing control of his tricep, of his left arm, and having to compensate fully with other muscles, and in that case, hiking his shoulder. So now that requires him to stabilize in some other way you know, as it relates to his position on the bike, he was really sort of positioning his hands in a way that he could almost, uh, tuck the elbows and use the palm of his hand on the back of the bar to support himself. And that was a composition he had made. And, you know, we talk about gaining power and control really for the events that he's doing, he's got to have control over the front end of the bike. You know, it's not optimal. You really want to be able to hold your hoods and use your brakes. So that, that's a really cool way of seeing how performance and comfort really go hand in hand. To talk about his other um, situation that really brought him into the room and allowed him to put his other concerns on hold because he knew he had this pain, there were several symptoms that we needed to tease out. We needed to know if his lo- the lower back pain that he feels sometimes was related to the weakness that he had in his glute, and was that then related to this knee pain slash IT band fibular head pain, and was that related to him fatiguing early in his gastrocnemius his, his calf muscles, and so you know we did a pretty thorough assessment and just went through and I had him for example bend over ten times and um, to, to touch his feet basically. And then we tested his glutes and he didn't have any glutes. And we, uh, doing that motion by flexing forward, it also started to bring on that IT band, fibular head, calf pain. So there was a causation there. And so then I had to him do the opposite position, which is to do a little bit of lumbar extension. The pain improved and all of a sudden he had a glute, the elusive glute that he's been trying to get for so long. I mean, the way I can explain that is inhibition. So if my finger is stuck in the door and I'm trying to use my, my, right, my right hand is stuck in the door and I'm trying to use my left hand to close the door on my, on my right hand, I'm going to be inhibited. Thank goodness. I'm not going to have my full power through that left arm.
0: So you're saying the brain will not let you do it.
1: You're right. It's inhibited. Exactly. And so now if I take my hand out of the door, I spontaneously have a strong left arm. Well, that's how fast we're making this change. So it's not that we're building sarcomeres and we're, uh, you know, even developing a motor control pattern, which takes time to develop that motor control neurologically. There is something that's happening very fast. Um, and in some cases, and, and maybe partially in the case of Brian, there might be a little pressure on the nerve root of that, of that nerve. But even that takes a little bit more time uh, than what we were seeing just in our session And so the coolest thing for Brian, and this is where I get just so excited, the neatest thing for Brian is that it was relatively easy to make him better. And then after we made him better, it was rather difficult to make him worse. And so what that tells us is the prognosis. How long is Brian gonna have to work on this particular exercise I gave him in order for it to stabilize and for him to no longer be susceptible and vulnerable To this postural change. You know, I mean, we've been forward about four to five thousand times a day. and, And Brian can't avoid bending forward. He's got to pump up his tire and put his shoes on and clean up a little bit and do many other things that involve him bending forward. So how do we come up with a solution that can really balance this out for him in a way that we get a lot of success, a lot of return on investment, but that he can still stay on his bike? And that's where the motivating factor comes in. And I mean, obviously I'm sort of spoiled to even be working with Brian because he's done everything I've told him to do. We haven't had a, a great chance to talk about how where he is um, with his progress, but or at least individually. He's done everything that I've told him to do. And in fact, so fast that we're going to end up meeting sooner than we have had intended to meet. It's cool to see that. You know, Brian and I developed a hypothesis. We Together, we found something that hopefully was realistic for him to do at home, and he's done it, and he is somewhere in the spectrum of improvement. I mean, obviously, you can't just expect to do something a few times and everything is 100% better for the type of problem that we're talking about with Brian. I mean, there's some things that the solution is very straightforward. You do it a few times and you'll feel much better. There are other things uh, that the solution is just making changes to the bike and you feel much better. But, in Brian's case and with what he has going on, and I don't want to speak for, Brian, but that that wouldn't be the case for what Brian has. And we learned that for in a couple ways because, you know, we did the assessment that I just spoke about. We found the cause and effect of what makes his uh, glutes turn off and his symptoms come on, and then we found what makes him do just the opposite. We talked about how he's going to do much more of what makes him better and much less of what makes him worse. And we tried to problem solve. Um, about some of the difficult aspects of why that would, why you'd have some limiting factors there. But then we got to test our hypothesis right in that moment by seeing him on the bike. So you can, you know, I I said, okay, Brian, we'll do 10 repetitions of your exercise. And then he got on the bike, he was in a sustained position for a little while, and then his glute turned back off. And same thing happened with his tricep, although we haven't, um, we decided that we would compartmentalize those. And we would start by working his Uh, lower half symptoms. And then next time we meet, we're going to work on his upper half symptoms because we really have to get a grasp on these things so that they get better rather than worse. And so, but it was just, it's just so cool at Brian's expense because we're talking about his body, but it's just so cool that the body can be predictable that way. And hopefully what Brian felt was then empowered because if there's a reason for something happening, usually you can find a solution.
2: Well, I think, Natalie, one of the things that you said to me that really resonated is, you know, once you were able to show me, gosh, if we get more flexibility in your lumbar and thoracic spine, these good things happen. And, you know, you said to me, so you're really not broken. It's just you need to modify some things in your lifestyle, if you will. And I'm going to teach you how to sit properly. Those were things, again, that you made very understandable. So That's what I appreciated in your descriptions as well, because it wasn't a bunch of terminology or things that I I couldn't easily grasp. I mean, you, you made it very understandable and tangible for me as to what was going on and what my part in this process was.
1: Oh, that's so good to hear. I think building on that point, you know, Brian brought in some imaging, and we won't talk specifically about what that imaging was, but a lot of people end up bringing imaging. Either pronounce or CDs, whatever, and that's oftentimes the first thing they go to in terms of their conversation about their body is immediately their image. I feel bad for people because there is no perfect image of anyone. We have gray hair and wrinkles on the inside, just like we do the outside. Now we don't fear our gray hair and wrinkles on the outside usually nearly as much as we do the inside because we have time to adapt to them. You know, we get to see ourselves in the mirror and. Maybe some days are worse than the other. And you're thinking, oh man, I wish I didn't have this about me or that about me. But when you go, when you have pain and then you go get an image, you're just slapped in the face with it. I mean, you, you didn't know what was in the inside and now you do. And the piece that isn't shown on imaging is causation. Just because you have things wrong with you does not mean that that is the cause of your pain. And it's very scary for people. And um I've had it myself. I have I had an image of my knee and I knew what was going on in my knee. I knew how I felt and all these things and I knew that I shouldn't be misled by my image, that rather I should be concerned with how I felt. And I was still devastated for a month or two. And I think it's important for people to understand that we are not perfect on the inside. And and I'll just throw out some numbers. So There's a fantastic study of asymptomatic people, so people without any symptoms. The only way you could be in the study is if you had absolutely no low back pain and you couldn't have any symptoms associated with low back pain. So like in Brian's case, where he had some leg pain and things that we think is related to his lumbar spine, you were disqualified. So only people who had no symptoms in their past or currently And this study is so cool because it's thousands of people, and it started uh, at age 20, and I think it went all the way to 90, but I could be wrong, it might be 80. What they wanted to show was normal imaging. What does someone look like on the inside at age 20, on the inside at age 30, and so on and so forth. And there's a number of pathologies that they really tracked throughout that study. Just one number that stands out to me is disc degeneration. You know, you've heard it from Aunt Sue and everybody. Oh, I have, I've been diagnosed with disc degeneration. Well, at age 20, with no symptoms, 37% of those people have disc degeneration at age 20. Is there any causation there at all? Well, no, there's not. And, you know, at age 55, 80% of people have disc degeneration. So, I mean, it is actually more normal to have it and not have symptoms, But we all want to sort of hang our hat on a diagnosis because that feels safe and that feels like it's going to take us down this perfect path of treatment. And it doesn't necessarily. And I think that's a really good thing because you're not your image. Your image is a very expensive selfie, basically, of that snapshot of time. I'm not saying that no one needs imaging. I mean, imaging is important because it's going to help us understand sinister pathologies. Things like cancer and tumors and cysts and extruded discs and, you know, things like that. But at the same time, it can really hold people back when they understand what is going on in their body because then it feels sometimes to some people impossible to overcome those things. And so, you know, that's a conversation Brian and I had right off the bat, I think.
0: Very interesting. And so where do we stand, Brian? Uh, you have been riding your bike in your new position after doing your exercises, and you are finding what?
2: Definitely it is a process because anytime you try to undo any kind of muscle memory, then it takes constant reminders. You know, if I hold that correct posture, the, the issues with the, the leg pain... Uh, is lessening, um, able to go longer periods of time with without that occurring. And also really finding that the glute is firing, the hamstrings firing, and you know I'd say the this overall early signs are very, very positive.
0: You sound very hopeful and have a reason to have hope. You know, even though I think uh, I'm going to have to say that Natalie gets almost all the credit, I bet you feel pretty smart for having picked her.
2: Well, I, I don't know about smart, but at least, uh, you know, kind of all the stars aligned.
0: You know, Natalie, I, I don't think I actually recall hearing what tweaks you made to Brian's road bike. Uh, you know, oh, you yeah. heard about What he had to do training-wise to make his body function better. But did you have to change his bike at all?
1: We did. Um, I probably changed Brian's bike the least of anyone I've changed in the last six months for a couple reasons. One, Brian is very perceptive and he has a very, very good understanding of his body. And that really was a jumping uh, point for us because we got to work on other things that he really needed. Uh, but we did, we changed the saddle height just a little bit. We changed the fore aft, um, a little bit. One concern that Brian had was that he really didn't want to change the height of the front end of his bike. I get that almost all the time. <laughs> and We did not change the height of the front end of his bike. Uh, we were going to, but once we were able to adapt some things in the back of the, bike or adjust some things in the back of the bike, it allowed him to change his posture and he was able to maintain a good position despite his rather aggressive, uh, front end. We might, though, have to change the stem length, and that's just because, you know, he needs some stability, his triceps a little bit weak, we're going to have a plan that improves his tricep. But uh, even then, to give him so much more control and performance over that bike, it would be really nice if he could be at his hoods um, and have a little bit more control of the bike. I left out the cleat adjustment, there was quite a bit of a rotational change that I think Brian had been told before that it would be good to drop his knees in towards the top tube. And really for what Brian's body was doing, that was not a position that was going to be good for him. And so I think the cleats were positioned in a way to do that or encourage him to do that, I should say. And uh, so we we sort of took some of that away. We might have to work on that a little bit more um, as Brian's body adapts. But We made a a pretty big change there in the rotation and the four after the cleat. Making those bike fit adjustments in order to meet those goals, that was really
0: what we worked towards and
1: hopefully we're on our way.
0: I think we are. Well, I'm convinced. Thank you both very much. This was a very interesting uh, and I hope useful conversation for uh, the listeners. So let me say uh, Happy New Year uh, to you and everyone. And thanks again for your time. Uh, Natalie, I'll get some info from you and I'll put in the show notes how people can get in touch with you if they have questions, they want to reach out to you directly, then they can find you. Thanks again, everybody. You have a good night. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening into our discussion with Natalie Collins of Pedalfit and Brian Heber about their experience working together to resolve Brian's tricky bike fit issues. As you can imagine, Brian is now a huge fan of Natalie and her approach to bike fitting. Natalie's contact info is in the show notes, or you can find her at Pedalfit in Denver, Colorado. If you head over to wiseathletes.com, you can send us a question to address on the podcast, see all of our episodes, subscribe to our podcast, and you can sign up for our newsletter. If you are on social media and enjoyed this episode, please post about it. That will be a great help. Thanks again.